Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Game for a Movie. Uh, this is a special episode as we are still quarantined indoors, so there's still no new movies or anything like that. So we decided to do a little, uh, what is it, Cage-tacular is what we're calling it? Cage match, yeah. Cage, cage match, cage okay. Cage match. Uh, we have seen some Nicolas Cage movies as well as we've got some news, but first, I am your host, Mike B. Tank. I am joined by, let's go to Mitchell. Uh, and we have a special guest joining the show. Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? No, not really. Okay, that's I'm my buddy it. that's my buddy Jason. <laughs> I was gonna call him Gay Cat for the rest of the rest of the show. Obviously taking over for T Dog. As opposed to T Dog. Dude, I thought it was going to be the return of T-Dog. I've been waiting for this for weeks. <laughs> Dude, I don't... T-Dog and feels like months. I don't know where T-Dog is. We can play on... He's in the with Dorothy and Oz. We got out of town. <laughs> Do you have any other theories? Anybody else where T-Dog might be? Um, let's see. Okay, so he... T-Dog is a very giving person. And when he heard about the, you know, he heard that, oh, shit, COVID-19 is changing everything, he decided to study medicine and try to figure this out. But then the murder hornets happened, and then he decided to go to Washington State and fight the murder hornets instead. And what he has since done is train train praying mantises to fight the murder hornets, and so far he's been successful. So, yes, sweetie dog. It's yeah, like heads up, Yeah, you got it. I have three words for you. Man bear pig. Man bear pig. Man bear pig. Guys, that, that's not real. <laughs> 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 if murder are real, I believe anything is real. <laughs> See, I just... Man bear pig defeat murder hornets. Of course, for breakfast. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't think it's an easy one to chalk up. See, I was going to... Murder hornets defeat Chuck Norris. Oh my god, is it 2006? Yeah, that's, a, that's what I'm saying. Don't make fun of me. Wow, that was a low blow, Andre. Jeez, wow. Andre. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we will jump in. There was a bit of news So this week. Um, there is a Tiger King miniseries coming out that Mitchell put us two uh that kind of let us know this was happening it was the first one reported to the game for a movie podcast uh because cast as joe exotic is nicholas cage uh depending on how you feel about that we've decided to jump in and cast our own tiger king shows and we've each taken about three to five people three to five names and just kind of come up with um who we think they should play in the Tiger King limited series, given that we have a full budget, can get any star we want. So, shall we start with our special guest, Jason? Uh, sure. Alright, so so the top five characters and their corresponding actors that should be played in this Tiger King miniseries that I'm putting together. First off, starting off strong, Joe Exotic should 100% be Danny McBride. Now, I know you think that's kind of, like, not the right choice, but imagine just fucking uh, Kenny Powers with tigers. 
years. That's all you need. <laughs> I can see him pulling off the hair. That's yeah. that's where I'm seeing it for sure. Right. Complaining. He just has to get a little more high pitched in his whining, but it is perfect. I have faith that he could pull off the voice. I think it's a very doable voice. So. I just imagine you going into a pitch meeting. Kenny Powers plus Tigers. Exactly. That's how Kenny Powers would do it. <laughs> okay, but then of course he needs his adversary in Carol Baskin, which no one should be playing Carol Baskin other than Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon as Carol Baskin is just comedy gold. She will give you that dry little like, good morning, cats and kittens. Jason, what if I were to tell you that's actually happening? <laughs> oh, no, it's actually happening. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. But, but not in the Nick Cage ones. Not in the Nick Cage ones, in the competing series. You're right. Right, right. So I'm... I'm, 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 I'm I didn't know there were two of them. I did not know that there was two... What? Oh, yes, there are two competing series. Wow, jeez. Who's doing the other one? I, I actually don't even know who's doing the Nicolas Cage one. CBS what? is doing the Nick Cage one. Yes. Who? CBS. CBS, okay. CBS. Then the other TBS one. with the T. Oh, T. TBS. No, no, no. Like C- CBS. Like. C- 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 yeah. um, I wonder who's doing the Kate McKinnon one. Um, huh. HBO? I think that one's a movie, so probably like a studio. Okay, that's Got a movie. It. Okay. Oh, well then, yeah, it's a performance. Okay. <laughs> Moving on, Jeff Lowe, the, the world's oh. most blatant con man in the world. Um, pretty sure that one's going to end up being Jonathan Banks, known as Mike Ermintrout from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. There you oh, go. That's a good call. That's a good I call. like it. Huh. That's then, a little older than it. Wow. Oh, but I see it. I see it. I like it. Oh, yeah. He'll make you fear for your life in the same way that Joe Exotic did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then for Doc Antle, I mean, literally as I watched Tiger King, all I could see was Will Ferrell. So, like, I'm going to have to slot Will Ferrell into there. Okay. Okay. And then last couple, just because in pre-production, I said this was the perfect casting. Uh, Saf, the tiger handler with one arm, uh, will be played by Michael Pena because Michael Pena will be super chill about having only one arm. <laughs> <laughs> so are we just like crossing genders right here, or is it well, just Saf as a man? So oh, really? Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, did I know that? We, mm-hmm. If you would have been on time, you would have heard this. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I was on time, Andre. Hey, man. I No, I seriously moved my schedule back. Oh, nice. That's either here or there. <laughs> we can blame Andre for that one. He did push us back. Yep, yep, yep. That one's on me. <laughs> and because of that, Andre, you guys get to follow now. Sweet. Hell yeah. Okay. All right, well, I mean, all right, this is like a more of a collaborative effort between Joe and myself. So, I mean, honestly, for uh, Joe Exotic, I mean, I social love Nick Cage. I really got to feel like we like, got to listen to the big man himself on this one. David Spade yeah. kind of lines it up for us really well. I got to agree with Joe himself. Yeah, it kind of um, makes sense. And, and, like, what, is he busy? Like, I just don't get, like, what, what, what is he up to? He's making copies. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's got his own show. He does? Yeah, uh, like Lights Out with David Spade or something like that. It was canceled years ago. No, it's still going. <laughs> I, I'm throwing my challenge flag on that one. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Look it up. Yeah. Um, next for Jeff Lowe, our take on it is Woody Harris. Harrelson? Harrelson. Harrelson. Yeah. I wrote Woody yeah. Harrelson. <laughs> Harrelson. Sorry, Woody. Jason, when did you say that show got canceled? March 12th, 2020. 
Oh, you motherfucker. Years <laughs> ago. Yeah, that got canceled years ago. Uh, Woody Harrelson is Doc Ansel. I don't say. No, no, oh. no, it's Jeff. Jeff Lowe. Yeah, sorry, Jeff sorry. Lowe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, for our Doc Ansel, originally we had Pat Patton Oswalt, and then what? I joked about Paul Dano. I feel like Paul Dano. <laughs> Paul Dano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put him in the wig. <laughs> it would be wonderful. I can see him melt into that. Gain like thirty pounds. Yes. Yes. Why not? There's going to be a lot of heavy makeup. But... Paul Dano's a weird guy. I think he'd be down. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's you know, a Swiss Army man. Like he, he's clearly in touch with his avant-garde side. Right, and I've only seen Will. What's it going? Lights out with David Spade on April third. Comedy Central said it would not air new shows on its network, although the network has stated it will attempt to sell the show to a third-party network. So, and, and, boom. So his you said and, years ago. We have two more. Uh, for Rick Kirkham, the uh, the dude who decided to give Joe a the shot producer. at actual stardom, uh, Andre suggested. Gotta be willing to foe. Gotta be willing to foe. I feel like I could. I could. I could oh, see it. Damn. Okay. Yeah. 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 Then, All right. <laughs> and then, last but not least, starring as Tiger Number One, Andy Circus. Yes. <laughs> uh, not just Tiger Number One, all the tigers. All the tigers. And the tiger cubs too. Yeah. Tiger yeah. Cubs, the bears. The, the, you know. The tiger that Carol Baskin fed her husband to. I didn't say that. <laughs> Nick Cage handing a tiger to folks as they come visit the park, and it's just Andy Serkis. <laughs> it's just carrying. Yep. Mitchell, there what do what do you got on your list? Well, I didn't construct a full list. But I did have Willem Dafoe as my Joe Exotic. And it's something that me and Kelly had talked about. It's who, that's the thing. Uh, About casting anyone in this world, you have to immediately buy, okay, this person is crazy enough to exist in this world. And for whatever reason, his filmography probably explains it all. Willem Dafoe has that kind of baggage that would absolutely work in his favor in this case. If anyone has not seen The Lighthouse and seen exactly how batshit he could be, I highly recommend it, though it is definitely a unique watch that isn't for everyone. Okay. So, Willem Dafoe, who did you guys cast him as? In what role? Uh, as Rick Kirkman. He was the producer guy who was trying to make Rich off of... Off oh, of for real. You know what? The super deep throat. Yeah. yeah. My thing is, I don't think people gave that guy enough credit for being crazy. Because everyone, I think the way the documentary framed him, he's like, oh yeah, I'm just this outsider who's trying to profit off this dude's... Um, craziness it's not my fault living in this world yeah Yeah. i feel like he's as much a part of it as everyone else um anyway but if wonderful needs to be in this fantasy project that we're playing together uh jeff flow and it's only because of the dumb hat and like the do-rag or whatever he's wearing underneath it i when i was watching it i got glimpses of fred durst the yeah. lead singer oh, there you go. of Limp Biscuit. Oh, God. Fred Durst. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Fred Durst the entire time. Like, that is his fashion icon. Fred Durst had a movie. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. No, yes. Yeah. Fred Durst has a movie? Yeah. It was terrible. Oh, yeah, it, okay, it came well, out, yeah, not that long ago. But, yeah, keep going. Okay, my goodness. And then, because everyone's doing such a great job of filling out this world, I don't think we've cast Howard Baskin yet. 
who I is Howard. Yes, Howard, who is the living husband of Carol Baskin. <laughs> living. Um, it's a, a very notable thing. Um, again, just purely based on looks, and not because I want to employ this man to be in a film. Um, this is completely done on his looks. It is Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. <laughs> they got the same droopy ass face. Yes, he does look like Mitch McConnell. Wow. Uh, the thing is, is that I think Howard very clearly loves uh, his wife a lot, and I just can't imagine loving another Anything? human being at all. I just, yeah, I can't see that. Wait, he can't show that emotion? Yeah, right. Have the range. Yes, exactly. But he does look like him. That's crazy. Wow, I didn't even think of that. I just had a thought. Why is no one casting Tommy with so Is Doc Antle? Got the long hair. Just throw him in. (laughs) This is people we want to see in a movie. Where, where, where is Doc Antle from? Where is Tommy Wiseau from? It's you a perfect marriage. Right. <laughs> no one knows. That's a beautiful part. And one more note on my casting list, going back to Joe Exotic. So to get my wheels turning on, okay, who would I cast as Joe Exotic? I threw um, his mugshot into one of those websites that tells you what celebrity you look like. Oh, there you go. Can you guys guess which very famous and very good actor that Joe Exotic allegedly looks like according to this no not leo it is a beautiful young man but not brad Ooh, my my heart would melt it is it is one ryan gosling joe would be so honored (laughs) and i'm sure joe is just like oh they nailed it like that is exactly who he wants portraying him in the film oh my god anyway Mike, Mike, finish us off. Who do you have in your fantasy Tiger King cast? So I have to turn off my video because I'm using all of my services to have this call and record us. Um, So you guys can't see me anymore. But um, Carol Baskin, I have as Lisa Kudrow. Yes. Yes. Uh, It's just one of those ones I feel like fits. Plus, I mean, Smelly Cat could make a reappearance somehow, some way, easily. Um, Jeff Lowe... Only because of season one of Fargo, I have Billy Bob Thornton. Okay. Billy Bob Thornton. Wow. You know what? That's wow. a guy I have not thought about in a while. Yeah. So I, I was like... totally see that. I was I looking see, up... Yeah I, yeah. I was looking up people that could pull off, like, white facial hair, and uh, <laughs> for okay. some reason, Billy Bob Thornton was in there. I don't know. I think Billy Bob Thornton belongs in that movie somewhere. Yeah. You know? Mike, did you Google that phrase? Yes. Guys who could pull off white facial hair? Badass actors with white facial hair. I'll, I'll allow it. That was, the, that was the exact look, because I wanted somebody, like, intimidating, but, like, the the idea... Yeah. Billy Bob Thornton wasn't, like, physically intimidating. He just came more so with the, like, the... He's softly spoken going to murder everybody. Oh, just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Soph, I actually <laughs> jumped on board with this. At first, I was kind of like, no, but now I'm kind of like, okay. Uh, Ken Jeong? I don't... Okay. All right. Wait, Ken Jeong is who? Uh, yeah. Dr. Ken as Soph. That's Soph. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a weird one, but I kind of like it. I don't know. It's, it's strange. Um, somebody pointed out that John Finlay looks like Shia LaBeouf. And I couldn't unsee it. Yes! Oh my gosh! 
stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh my god. And especially when like he cleaned up too, so he got like clean for the eighth episode that came out with the the interviews yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. he just he looks a lot better and he could pull off Shia LaBeouf pre meth mouth. Did he have? Did his hair grow back? Because yes. like, they should have him be younger, like some time beforehand. And he, he had, had like, like long hair too. Like it wasn't just like a little bit. Uh, and then fi- finally, um, the guy's name is James Garretson. He's famous for the jet ski, and I say that is Mark Davis, owner of the Raiders, one hundred percent. It looks. It looks like I need to show you a picture. I know you did. Yeah, you okay. showed me when we watched. Uh... Something. The yeah, Nick Cage movie? Yeah. Yeah. It was, so. Yeah, it, it's, it's the spitting image. It is the spitting image. We have no idea how his acting chops are, but you just gotta bring him in. Why not? Uh, he's probably, like, terrible, but so was James Garrison, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my list. Um, we will probably do something about our list on our Instagram. Follow us. Game for a movie. Um, so now we jump into our cage match. All of us saw at least three Nick Cage movies. And the idea was, the question was, is Nick Cage a good actor or a bad actor? Because he falls on that line in between where he does something good, where he wins an Oscar, and he does something terrible like he's in Humanity Bureau. God damn it. Why would you bring up that cursed film? Because. That was the first bad movie I watched for this podcast. It's all coming full circle. That's what I wanted to do. Yep. So, um, yeah, let's start. Um, mm, who wants to start? How about that? I'm just going to. Mm. Do we want to start good or bad? Yeah, well, we, so we can start, right? Yeah. So, so Jill and I, we just watched uh, Matchstick Men. Have, either, is, have any of you guys seen that, seen or heard of that movie at all? I've heard of it. I have not, no. Okay. All right. So, uh, it's. Uh, it's like an early 2000s film it stars Nick Cage and Sam Rockwell and they're both con artists um, so Nick Cage has an extreme uh, like obsessive compulsive disorder uh, super particular about everything uh, and just Sam Rockwell is like kind of like his, his right hand man and they're just really good at conning people out of their money through like just all sorts of Ponzi schemes and stuff uh, and then Nick Cage basically finds out that uh, he has an estranged daughter, and uh, through that kind of kind of turns over his whole entire very particular orderly life, while living like you know while while trying to con people out of it. And uh, it's kind of I don't know what genre I call it. I would call it like black a comedy. Black comedy. Okay. Describe online. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say like well, well, what not? What did you think about it? I actually really really liked it. So I had no idea what this was going into it. Um, and as Andre was saying, you know, Nicholas Cage is this con artist who discovers he's his daughter. And for, like, a good chunk of the movie, it's just kind of him bumbling around and trying to figure out how do I interact with this being that's come into my life, who's touching my stuff. Um, I, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, and as the movie goes on, the daughter, who's, like, 14, 14 years old, she's getting more and more curious about what he does for a living because he's also trying to do a side, have a side hustle on his on the side right um, okay. is they're, they're, doing they're working their biggest con yet yeah. basically um so she's like what do you do i want to learn teach me how to do something so he kind of shows her some of the ropes of how to do a con 
Um, oh. It all just builds up to the, the climax of the film, which I described as being like Shutter Island, but not as like, not that it's revealed he is crazy the whole time. Okay. Right. Weird, but Spoilers for so Shutter weird. Island, guys. <laughs> it's kind of total whiplash, but I really enjoyed it, honestly. And I guess the key part is Nick Cage in this movie is great. Yeah. Um, he it's, it's peak Cage, and it's peak good Nick Cage, I would say. Okay. Um, he plays, he has all these nervous tics that is, he sells it. Um, but also, I mean, in those emotional scenes where he's connecting with his, with his daughter, it's like, okay, I believe that relationship, you know, and, yeah. and how he's struggling to humanize and relate with her. Uh, in both an entertaining, like kind of uh-huh, funny way, but also like an emotional way too. So, yeah. um, I should say this is this is really Scott film, right? So this was a really Scott. Oh, nice. Yeah, but there is some weird scene transitions. Like there is a flip transition at at one point in this movie. Right out of uh, PowerPoint. Yes. Give like, me yeah. the flip transition. I want all of it. Yeah. <laughs> it was just in the middle of the like movie. And I'm like, what? And they never do it again. Nope. It, it, it was. Very disorienting. My personal favorite is at the end, everything happens, and then it cuts to a year later. So they have the text due one year later, but it slides and bounces on the side of the screen. And it's like, what? It comes out of nowhere. Yes. Like, you have the weird flip transition, and then you have some other really good transitions where, like, going down a dark alleyway and it pans over, and suddenly it's a new shot. That looks really good. But then they do weird amateurish style transition right and i feel like i want to say it's on purpose but it just feels out of place it, it feels it like it has to be on purpose right um, yeah unlike iron man 2 this did not waste its sam rockwell yes, sam rockwell was great in this movie um, too yeah it, nice. it's really it, it's a good film um andre said that it has developed a cult following okay um not cult following but like it, it's done very very well after its release yeah um, Roger Ebert liked it a lot. He gave it four stars. I don't know if we care about Roger Ebert. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, this was quite enjoyable. And it was kind of weird to watch it after watching Trust, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Yeah. Because it's kind of similar that he plays a con. Uh, a con not, yeah. Well, he's still, it's a similar kind of role. He's trying right. to get yeah. a score. Yes. He's right. Trying to get a score. He's, he's, he's obsessed he's, with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, long story short, fun movie, fun concepts. I would, I would recommend it, but. Maybe yeah. fifteen minutes too long. Yes, a little, okay. a little over long. So now, now this, all this sounds like it's um, great about the movie. But what does the cage do for it in terms of acting? You got facial tics. Yes. You've got like face contortions. You have him a whole montage of him cleaning his apartment, including a scene of him scrubbing something with a toothbrush. Yeah. Um, like the, the neuroticism, he plays that neuroticism oh so, so well. I'm not really saying good. he's the only actor who could do it, but he's one of the few that I could believe it, you know? Yep. Right. Huh. So uh, he's got, he, it, it's it's the, the combo of being neurotic, but also still likable, you know? It's like, yep. oh, Nick Cage, what are you doing, man? You're crazy. Rascal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you little scamp. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, and so on that note, it would, it, well, whatever, we'll, we'll say it for trust, but like, it was that similar level of like, okay, this dude is fucking crazy, but it he can it, pull it back yes. suddenly. Okay. It's like, oh, you're totally normal. Yeah. And then, you know, he'll turn around and suddenly, you know, the eye is twitching and he has like a stutter. Um, it's, it, it's very impressive what that man can do with like the control of his body and bring out the crazy and then pull it back and then bring it out even more. Um, yeah, so I would say evidence yeah. that Nick Cage is a good, it can be a good actor he when he wants to be, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give this one uh, like 3.75 uh, 
Jason, we'll go to your first one. Alright, so, so I'm supposed to talk good now, right? Like, the good movie that I watched? You can talk whatever you want. I'm gonna finish it off with the bad movie, because, like, it just... Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so first thing, I want to point out two facts about Nicolas Cage to kind of set, set the scene here. First off, Nicolas Cage's real name is Nicolas Coppola, as in Francis Ford Coppola, the legendary director. Right. Yeah, Second off, Nick Cage has notorious tax and legal and real estate issues. That's and why he Right. So part of the reason that he does all these movies, it's it's kind of like his gentleman's agreement with the IRS. Like, this is his means of making money. So he legally, according to the IRS, has to basically accept every movie offer that gets handed to him. So that's why when you see a garbage-ass movie and it's starring Nicolas Cage and you know it's going to be garbage, he has to take it. Yes. Having said all that, I level set with thinking, like, Nicolas Cage will go neutral to begin with, and then let me actually watch a movie and decide for myself. So I wanted to go with something that everyone loved to start with, and I was going to watch National Treasure. However, my wife had already seen National Treasure, so instead, we had to watch National Treasure 2. Oh, no. I love the second one. It's got more Riley. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me tell you. National Treasure 2 is a movie that is so horribly written that Nicolas Cage couldn't do a better job with it. There's literally one scene where, like, these French police stop and just, like, have a nice chat with them as they're, like, vandalizing a statue. Because, like, they're French, and apparently that's what they do. Yeah. Nicholas Cage, in those movies, plays a man with Asperger's who has, like, an obsession with American history. Like, the entire movie is Nicholas Cage, like, hearing one word and then going, ah, and then telling a five-minute story that could have been told in two words about American <laughs> history. It's true. <laughs> neuroticism and, like, acting, it's, like peak to the point where it's just campy like it like you can't take it seriously after the first five minutes like the first time it's like oh this guy saying my great-great-grandfather is a murderer you know what will solve this a treasure hunt <laughs> we're gonna like, prove this with this treasure in mount rushmore <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, but like you know the, the first movie's been selling line was we gotta steal the declaration of independence i get that but having said that like literally the thing that starts this plot is like ed harris comes along and says hey your grandfather actually like plotted to kill abraham lincoln and he's like no treasure hunt (laughs) (laughs) and like the dumb thing in the end was like ed harris like when they find the treasure he goes this was my plan all along i Sorry to, like, throw your ancestor under the bus, but I needed you to find this treasure. I'm like, why the fuck did, wouldn't you just ask him to, to I help need... you find that treasure if you knew about said treasure? <laughs> Would you say that Nicolas Cage in this one comes off a bit more bored with everything that's going on? Or is he still giving, you know, 
No, that's the problem. He's giving the hundred ten percent. He that's why he's a man with Asperger's who's obsessed with with American history. Because literally the scene like where he's talking to the French policeman, the clue couldn't be more obvious, right? Like the clue is basically like something something resolute something something. And like when I heard that, my first thought was, oh, resolute desk, like the desk in the Oval Office. And he's just like, oh, 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 oh. Gonna make it out of there. I was gonna say it's like it's like watching Bill Nye the Science Guy. Like it's a little out there and goofy, but like you still learn a little something. Yeah, Bill Nye meets Ken Burns. Yeah. So Mitchell, what do you what do you got for your first one? Yeah, so I'm gonna start with the movie where I had been meaning to watch this for a long time. So selfishly, I used this task as a an excuse to finally fire it up on HBO, and it's Raising Arizona. So it's one of the earlier uh, Coen Brother movies. Only one of the Coen Brothers actually directed, the other wrote. Uh, so it was a true collaboration in that sense, one care of the other. Um, and it is a farce of a movie. So for those who don't know what the plot is about, um, it is about a couple who meet because the man is a guy who gets arrested a lot and he falls in love with the police officer who keeps booking him into jail. Um, the police officer is played by Holly Hunter and the guy getting arrested all the time is Nicolas Cage. And this movie opens with what I think is such a solid 11 minutes of just a great fun montage filmmaking of the, a very brief story, not too dissimilar from up of how a couple meets and starts a new life together. Uh, but maybe not as emotionally stirring. But still very entertaining, and what a fucking way to open a movie. Uh, the first 11 minutes for Raising Arizona. So after they meet, the plot actually begins. Uh, Holly Hunter uh, cannot bear children. Um, they desperately want kids. Well, luckily for them, a very rich family um, had a uh, newspaper article written up about him for having quintuplets. So what they decide to do is to go to this very rich family's house in the middle of the night and steal one of the kids for themselves. So thus raising Arizona and Arizona is the last name of the kid. Anyway, so um, that that's what it's about. 
It stars uh, John Goodman as well, Francis McDormand. So the start of their Coen brother relationship as well. Um, it is, a, like I said, it's a farce. So all of it is over the top. That's how the comedy is written. And the music in this, uh, the music and the dialogue in terms of how over the top these guys are speaking and looking into the camera it's exactly what this movie calls for, and Nicolas Cage is perfect casting here. And he's a guy who is basically overreacting to every single scenario possible. Like, if you're presented with a problem, my wife is barren, right? What, what are some solutions here? You could adopt a kid, which they try to do, but he has a really bad rap sheet, whatever. Um, you know, there are a lot of other ways that a that a couple could figure out, hey, how do we fill this hole in our family? Like, and third, third idea I had was steal a child. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty high, Mike. That, that's very high on the list. And for Nicolas Cage, that was number two. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he went up and stole a kid. Uh, very entertaining, and mainly because of what the Coen brothers are asking of each of the performers, and no one does it better than Nicolas Cage in this particular role and i think um, andre jill you're talking about a certain look in his eye in certain scenes in match point or what was the film matchstick men matchstick men yeah match point is a different film directed by woody Allen. okay and anyway that is exactly what nick cage is known to do and this is kind of in his wheelhouse the more i look back on movies that i actually enjoyed him in and not necessarily just watch for this podcast but I'm looking back and thinking to certain monologues that he has. And it's all this over-the-top stuff, but somehow, and guys, I'm kind of showing my hand here, somehow he pulls it off where other actors who would go over the top like that would never be able to pull off. Hmm. And that is why I'm really leaning towards the good actor part here. And it's really dependent Uh, As Jason was alluding to earlier, he has IRS trouble. He has to take these roles. But if he's matched up with very talented directors, he's worked with Spike Jones in the past. He's worked with Coen Brothers. There are many films that have have great reviews and receptions from general audiences, and he shines in those because those those directors actually know how to use them. Nice. So, what would you give this? Raising Arizona, oh, Raising Arizona, oh my god, if you're a Coen Brothers fan, it's easily a four, 4.5 children, oops, out of five <laughs> total kids, um, and I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, so four and a half out of five for me, um, it's it's all the fun of Fargo, okay. uh, without any of the murder, so the stakes are a little lower. Uh, but you get fun dialogue, fun accents, and it's, guys, I cannot tell you how much I appreciated this. This movie ended in 90 minutes, and oh, I felt, wow. it felt so great. Nice. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah, so, yeah, Raising yeah. Arizona, 4.5 out of 5 from me. Nice. I do, I do want to kind of wonder, though, and I have to look this up, could Nicolas Cage direct himself? No. No, no way. Probably no. I don't think he has it in him. Like I know he probably he can't write, and I'm but and I'm certain he's produced things, but I don't think he could do like a director actor moment. My yeah. thing is, I don't think, and I know there's a lot of actor directors out there, but for those who could really pull it off, I don't think there are really many who can't. Mm-hmm. So to be fair, he has directed himself in one film. And I'm just looking it up on IMDb. It's called it's called Sunny, 
and it stars James Franco. Interesting. Um, yeah, and he's he's That's also in it. So anyway, that hmm. is that is a movie that he directed in 2002. All right. Gotcha. 2002. Oh, okay, it's a baby James Franco. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Look at those tight jeans. Everyone, go look it up. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, gosh. I can see Nick Franco being a contemporary of Nicolas Cage, but in like yep. a different right. way. I mean, that's like Spider-Man James Franco. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, what do you got, man? So, well, I will talk first about the one we all watched together, except for Jason. Sorry, buddy. Um, oh, are we really saying sorry, buddy, to Jason here? Yeah, I, think, right. I feel like Jason got off the hook. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, we did another Netflix party and watched The Trust, uh, which was Nicolas Cage, obviously, and Elijah Wood. Um, that they play two cops who find out there is like this treasure trove of money that they can get to and like get the score, you know? And, um, the whole movie kind of takes place in like one house trying to get underneath it to get to this safe which has all this money and everything like that and like it's the things that go wrong and people that live there and um how would you guys describe this movie the way i described it is nick cage is doing the best he can with what he's given which is not very Um, good i would describe it i'm sure if you read that script you would think to yourself, oh, cool, this this is like a fun neo-noir kind of movie. You know, yeah. this is the Vegas underground, and these are two crooked cops. One of them really wants to get rich quick, mm-hmm. and the other is just kind of going down this uh, trail with him uh, begrudgingly. But then you put it on film, and it is a completely different story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It right. is a mishandled plot, and... It, it, Everything, Jill, you had a really good critique after we watched it. And you said, did did what Nicolas Cage did in particular um, at the end, did that twist feel earned? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like you could ask that question about a lot of the plot development. Like, yeah. are we able to actually get to this point? Does this really make sense? And I'd argue it didn't at all. And it's not up to the actors, in my opinion, but it was that was a rough watch. It was a rough watch. It was, it was the unfortunate part was that it wasn't it wasn't bombastically bad you know I, I I'd honestly say we should watch Humanity Bureau first over over the trust you know if I was gonna get some friends together to watch a bad movie right um it, it, yeah the, it, it's it's faults are more just kind of dull you know the pacing just yes. doesn't feel all the way there I wasn't super attached to Nicholas Cage's or Elijah Wood's character it's like okay all right Nicholas I was Cage totally okay if both of them died. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't really, like, I was like, oh, man, like, yeah, Nick, Nick Cage is in too deep, and yeah. Elijah Wood is being kind of a shithead about it, but he's going along, like, okay. I kind of, oh, he cares about the girl now. Oh, all right, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. He was the naive one. I kind of felt like it was two different cop stories stitched together, mm-hmm. um, or that, like, Elijah Wood didn't have half the script. Mm-hmm. Like, when his character, because, like, his cop character is not inherently crooked. Like, he doesn't like his job. He doesn't. He pays and for sex. Come along, the senior, the senior cop, and he's kind of sex. He and like you know the, the light bulbs are starting to go off in his head, but he's not really. He's thinking that what they're doing has a purpose for the greater good. That they're gonna break into this safe, 
and determine, yes, there are bad, there are drugs, I think is what he thought there was down there or something. Right. And, and then, then they could run and tell the, act, the rest of the Bureau and, get and they'll promotion, still get a promotion. Yeah. Right. And as things are starting to go down, you can see, like, the wheels turning in his head. At the same time, there's still kind of this, like, dude, you're not that dumb. Like, right. come on. Yes. Right. This doesn't seem... This doesn't seem weird to you. So, like I said, it's his character, like, the actor was missing half the script. And Nicolas Cage is in the corner, like, holding it, like, hee 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 hee, you have no idea what's in store. Um, yeah. And then pacing issues, I agree. They're, there's at least, like, a whole section where, like, they're doing the break-in, and they stop to eat some cheesesteaks. Right. And have a conversation while they have a live hostage. It was, so, really the way I would describe it is kind of like, it was a slow burn that, like, had to reignite itself every couple of minutes. Yes, that's a good way to phrase it, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So... I did feel like it was wheels. Yeah, I, I would say it's probably a one out of five, like, safe containers. Um, I don't know, I'm just... I'm rolling with it here. Safe containers mysteriously positioned under shitty apartments in Las Vegas. Exactly. Right, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, a shitty apartment. This looks like... How the jump got there? Like, what made Nick? Like, because it starts with him like just noticing this guy got out of bail, and then he decides to back, like, figure out where how he got out of bail. Like, I don't actually understand how Nicholas Cage right. found because he paid for it in cash. And he got, and then he decides to trace it. And I don't know. I, like, yeah. even the ending. Like, I actually kind of liked the ending if you look at it in a vacuum. Right. But yeah. then, like with, with Elijah Wood's character. Yeah. Um, can I spoil? Yeah. Yes, please do. So, we spend, like, most of the film doing the break-in. Nicolas Cage reveals, like, guess what? We're actually not here to just find some evidence. We're going to take it, and we're going to go to the Caribbean together. I bought right. you a ticket, man. Because it's not drugs. It's diamonds. It's, it's diamonds. It's, right. They can just, yeah. Yeah. They can easily so, fence. The light, bulb, the, the light bulb goes off, and he's like, no, we can't do this. And he had found a gun earlier, so they get into a shootout, and he shoots, and he actually kills Nicolas Cage character. And his character, Nicolas Cage character, dies holding tickets to the Caribbean, Ugh. and there are two of them. Because he kind of didn't believe him and everything. Nope, he didn't believe it. He thought he was the, the fall guy. Right. So a lot of people puts everything back, but he still has this live hostage, a woman, who's just called a woman. And throughout all of the break-in, she's in the bathroom, like, uh, tied up, and at one point she's like, I need to call my son. And Elijah Wood being this, you know, the sweet, so doe-eyed, innocent cop, like, writes down the number and has her talk to someone on the phone. We don't actually hear the conversation. So he gets her into the car, and they're driving away, and they get on the highway, and the plan, it seems, is he's going to drop her off and just leave her and go. But then he notices these trucks kind of zeroing behind. He notices that number on one of the trucks right ahead of him is the same number that the lady called. And before he can really do anything, the door opens and a guy shows up, pops up with a gun, and he starts to reach for his badge and goes like, "Wait, I'm a cop," and then gets shot. <laughs> and that's kind of how it ends. I like that. Well, that's exactly how it ends. Yeah, it's <laughs> great <laughs> cinema. There was no trust in the trust. Exactly, no trust. no trust, and we have no idea who this lady was. What was this a setup for them? The secret mafia cleaner so people. Questions. Yeah, well, whatever. But I'm not interested in answering those questions. Like, okay. I am. I, I can't, I, that's my thing is I want to know who this lady was. Why didn't they give this character a name? Thank you. All right. Well, while you guys are rolling, take your second Nick Cage movie. Which 
don't have it in that second AK. Oh, okay. Oh, no. You're good then. I can talk about Moonstruck because that movie really stuck with me. Oh, that's going to be my second movie. So we can hang out. I will not talk about Moonstruck. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Jason, you got another one, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, uh, as you guys may or may not have known, uh, Marvel was supposed to come out with Black Widow this last weekend. And, of course, due to COVID-19, could not. So I decided to watch the cross-section between Nicolas Cage and a Marvel movie, The First Ghost Rider. Oh, God. Oh, Oh God. So much PTSD. It is a mess of a movie. And this is one where I do not give Nicolas Cage the benefit of the doubt because this is, like, height Nicolas Cage. And, like, this is, like, the era of Marvel movies coming off the back of, like, horrible Spider-Man 3, horrible Dare devil like yeah like meh fantastic four like so so x-men from fox like yeah nothing was like really exciting about being in a marvel movie and (laughs) the first like 10 minutes like in like in the true spirit of like early 2000s movies like it's it's all garbage but like the first 10 minutes where it's, like, the young Johnny Blaze character, like, making the deal with the devil, I am way more invested in the younger actor who plays this character for the 10 minutes that I saw him than the entire movie that Nicolas Cage was in the rest of. Nicolas Cage's part, like, takes forever to set up, by the way. Like, the first, like, 30 minutes is just him, like, looking at ramps and, like, jumping over ramps slowly. This also reminded me... Jumping over impossible, like, he literally at one point jumps over a football field worth of, uh, of 18-wheelers, and, like, it's, it's just, like, a shot of his, like, visor, and you're, like, you're seeing the 18-wheelers pass by, and you're, like, the ramp was the size of, like, my driveway, like, there's no way he's, like, jumping that. <laughs> and I don't know if this was, like, a bad directing, editing issue, or if this was just the way Nicolas Cage did it, but between every single shot, he literally ranges from, like, confused to sad to like overly excited to just like plain like weird like he'll be like what was that yeah and it's just the weirdest fucking thing in the world wow, uh this movie on top of the plot just like, super dumb and super garbage like nicholas cage does the blockiest most like horrible job in the world like bringing any real life to a character. Yeah. So we just looked at who directed Ghost Rider, and uh, they directed Daredevil. Yep. Yeah. Oh, of course they <laughs> did. Same guy. Did you do Electra too? No, Electra was different. different. Hey, guys, look at his writing credits. Look what he wrote most recently. The director of... Uh, just, yeah, just did work. Yes. What was his most recent writing credit? IMDb. It is amazing. It came out last year. It is a Disney film, and it is about everyone's favorite bear who looks like the president of China. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> he wrote Christopher Robin. Robin oh no. Maybe he found himself. It's been twelve years. It has been twelve years since Ghostbuster. <laughs> it took him five years. The last movie he did before he was even involved in before Christopher Robin was in 2013. So, so Jason, I got a question for you. So the way yeah. the way I look at Nicolas Cage and him playing Ghost Rider, I cannot escape the thought that he once upon a time was cast to be Superman 
back in the 90s when Tim Burton was picked yeah, yeah. to be the director, and it fell through. And he is notably a huge Superman fan. He's only and Superman, yeah. He's always wanted to be Superman, and the closest he got is playing Superman in Teen Titans Go the Movie. Go to the movies. And the, with Ghost Rider, I feel like 10 plus years after the Superman thing falls through, he desperately just wants to be in a comic book movie after he's seen the success of like the first two Spider-Man movies and all that. And he settled for Ghost Rider and it kind of just falls apart. And it could be his performance. It could be the movie. I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I felt like he settled just to be in a comic book movie yeah. once everything else uh, fell through. So here's, here's the other factors in that. So like, yeah. Also remember that he had another failed attempt to be in a comic book movie. He was supposed to be in the defunct Batman Triumphant, which was the sequel to Batman and Robin, where he was supposed to play Scarecrow and Madonna play Harley Quinn. Yes. Wow. See that? Madonna especially at that time. I would totally have been in that. While I think you have a point that like he may have just been very desperate to get into a superhero movie bear in mind at the time so like Ghost Rider comes out in 2007 which means it starts filming it's he's casted whatever probably around 2004 2005 <clears throat> yeah you're talking like not anywhere a height of superhero movie like like desire or demand but you're talking about like when like Spider-Man 2 is coming out so like it's a budding genre, so I think it's something where he just saw a great intersection of, like, this is something I'm interested in, and, like, here is an edgy character where I can, like, do it. Maybe, like, going for a big name, like, a Superman is just not gonna, like, fly. So, like, maybe we go something darker, something edgier. And I think that was the risk he tried to take. Mm. I was just looking at, like, dates for things. So, Ghost Rider came out in 2007, 2005, we had Sin City, which is um, the graphic novel adaptation. And Ghost Rider, when it came out, was kind of the... I mean, Blade did it first, but like Ghost Rider was like dark, a little bit edgier, a little bit more... You know, this is a little more PG, leaning into that PG-13. I can say one of the scenes... The character doesn't drink. He literally has martini glasses filled with jelly beans. Yeah, because because they they still have to keep into consideration, you know, it's a Marvel film we want. This isn't, you know, this isn't for, this isn't a hard R. This is a soft PG-13. Right. Um, we want all ages to show up here. And, like, considering, you know, Nicolas Cage in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where he's, you know, Spider-Man noir, I kind of wonder if he felt a little, like, FOMO for not being part of, like, Sin City, because I could totally see his him fitting into that world. I haven't read all of the graphic novels, so I don't know if there was a character he could have played, but he would have been aware of that production and I, yeah, I feel like he would have had an opportunity to be in Sin City too which was you know not a more low key thing he definitely could have gone in on that if he wanted that badly kind of thing yeah. maybe he felt he was past the past his prime on that one I, I think I think Mitch has a point where like he he was probably trying to do something that crossed with a passion and just like fell so hard on its face, as a lot of those superhero movies did before, you know, Marvel Studios formed and really, like, kind of, like, changed the, like, 
the contextual nature. Because right. yeah, to your point, it was right after Spider-Man 3, and like basically there's that, that weird gap where it was the Spider-Man trilogy, and then it was kind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and there's, we're in that awkward... Okay, sure. You had like, you had a couple bad X-Men movies in there. You had like some trial and errors with like Daredevil and Ghost Rider, and yeah, people are just it's working. That's true. You have V for Vendetta, and you've got 300, and you've got Sin City, which is kind of like the antithesis to these superhero films. Sure, I would also argue any comic property that's not like a Marvel DC, like you're already you're you're adapting something that has more substance to begin with. Like if you're gonna adapt like a Marvel or a DC character, like you're you're banking on like you know marketability over substance. So like a future Vendetta is not like comparable in my eyes. I 100% agree. Novel. And uh, guys, Road to Perdition, by the way, yeah. is based on a graphic novel. So it's a Marvel graphic novel. Oh, was it? I didn't know it was Marvel. Cool. Also, Men in Black is technically Marvel, too. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was a comic book, but I didn't know it was Marvel. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Remember Road to Perdition? So, okay. Oh, Road to um, Perdition. Jill, let's talk Moonstruck, because <laughs> I think... He was not nominated for an Oscar for this film, but this was the film that came out after Raising Arizona in 1987. And it has one of my all-time favorite Nicolas Cage monologues. So a little backstory on this film for me personally. My mom is obsessed with this. And when I told Kelly that I was going to bring this up on the pod, uh, Kelly said, I watched this movie with my mom way back in the day when I was like a kid or whatever. So I we have now dubbed this a mom movie. So this is the mindset that I have of Moonstruck. It's a romantic comedy. Uh, Cher plays a starring role. She won an Oscar uh, for this film um, where she plays um, a woman at the beginning of the film who's set to marry this guy uh, who has a younger brother played by Nicolas Cage. And there's this whole plot of whether or not Ronnie, who is Nicolas Cage's character, should go to the wedding. So uh, Cher really wants, you know, the entire family to be there. So she goes to where, where Ronnie works, which is a bakery. And one of the very first lines that we hear from Nicolas Cage is him uh, delivering a monologue about how he lost his hand. And he blames his brother for losing his hand. And I'm just going to do a a little reading here of this line. I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. You make me, you want me to take my heartache, put it away and forget? It is all over the top. It is beautiful Nick Cage. It's like he is singing. And I will tell you, that monologue, before I knew who Nick, Nick Cage was when I was a kid and knew that he did other movies, that has stuck with me. It's imprinted in my head. And recently going back and revisiting it, I'm blown away. I'm just like, this is Nick Cage's wheelhouse. I could totally see him coming off a Coen Brothers movie and trying to deliver the same kind of energy with you know a tempered down to be more real world, but to live in this universe uh, on Nick Cage's terms. And it still works, and it's still fun. And despite this guy who has a missing hand, like after delivering this crazy ass monologue, you believe over the course of this film that yeah, Cher's gonna fall in love with him. And <laughs> so I dug, I dig this movie, and I really really dig Nick Cage in it. Yeah, um, I watched this a while, like a couple. Uh, a year and a half ago at this point. Um, I was bored. I was over at my parents' house. I wanted something to watch. It was on Amazon Prime. All I knew 
is, isn't this the movie where Nicholas scores with Cher? So that yes. was all we were going into it. And, like, I agree. He does a fantastic job. I actually think they have very good chemistry. And it kind of works but for the two of them, but she just kind of rolls off of his own craziness because she's still Cher, and her character is kind of this, like, frustrated with everything, but she kind of accepts her lot in life. But she's also not going to sit there and be quiet about it. You know, yeah. it, it really works. I totally buy their relationship. Um, and I, yeah, I actually never really considered um, Nicolas Cage to be, like, sexy. He That's pulls it off, doesn't he? Always, and he doesn't, he's missing a hand. <laughs> and I think, like, there was, like, what, a 20-year age difference between him and Cher? When they yeah, um, I'd have to look it up. I think that's probably about right. Yeah, you would actually, like, never know. Like, I'm not saying, like, she, Cher, it's Cher. She, they, she's done things, she looks great. But, like, they both kind of have this weird, like, older-than-their-years sense about them that just plays beautifully throughout the film. Um, and it, it, it's good. I highly recommend this film if, you, if anyone has not seen it. Um, it, it's fun. It's also just in, like, a nice slice of, like, the 80s. Um, the oh, hair. absolutely. It's yeah. dripping in 80s nostalgia. Mm-hmm. The hair is big. The, the shoulder pads are there. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fashion moment. Absolutely. So I'm giving Nick Cage in this, like, a personal Nick Cage rating for me. Uh, this, guys, this might be my favorite Nick Cage because of everything that was just said that, you know, Jill added on to. He's sexy. He delivers these crazy monologues, which is what you would expect. He helps carry the movie with Cher, and, you know, Cher won an Oscar, but I think Nick Cage has the better performance. And I'm, you know, I'm giving it a five out of five. Uh, not the bees, not the bees. And then for the film, I'll, you know, it's, it's a romantic comedy. I had a lot of fun. A good nostalgia for me, three and a half out of five uh, pizza pies. That's the more um, That's my rating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my so next. Mike, you're next. Yes, my next movie is um, is called The Frozen Ground. Um, oh. The Frozen Ground was interesting. Uh, it's on Hulu. Um, what I will say about the movie is the plot itself is kind of all over the place. Um, it's based on a true story. It, there was a serial killer in Alaska, kill, raped, killed 17 people. Um, the cast for this movie was excellent. Um, the main trooper, the Alaskan state trooper, is obviously Nick Cage. Uh, he works with Dean Norris, who played Hank on Breaking Bad. Um, as well as you've got... Um, John Cusack is the serial killer. Um, he, it's like a, they call him the Baker Butcher in real life. Um, and then Vanessa Hudgens is the prostitute that got away. Um, so he was killing prostitutes. He would, uh, take them like saying they were doing a photo shoot and he would basically chain them up, take them to a cabin in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness, shoot them dead, leave them in the middle of the frozen ground. Um, and the whole tension comes from the prostitute that Vanessa Hutchins plays is scared to testify against him and doesn't want to. So like is constantly running away, constantly like f- being flaky. And basically she could put him away for rape no matter what. 
they they feel confident about that because she can say, hey, he raped me, boom. That was definitely proven. Um, the reason they needed her is because her testifying gave them reason to look for evidence and get a warrant and that kind of stuff. The reason I like this movie, because overall it was just okay. The movie itself I give about 2.5 out of 5 frozen, like, glaciers. <laughs> huh? Bunkers. Yes, sure. Um, I'll give it 2.5 because it is an interesting story, but at the same time, like, it's kind of one note. The reason I like this, though, is it was a very subdued Nick Cage performance. It's not over the top. There's really only one scene where he goes all over, and it kind of makes sense. Um, they have John Cusack in the interrogation room, and he goes bad cop on him. But it's not the Nick Cage of, like, you murdered her, you raped her, blah, blah, blah. Like, that, it was just more so, like, where did you get this? Where did you find this? Like, it's a little more... It's subdued. Like I said, it's a little more realistic in the fact that he could actually have played a state trooper in this. Um, and so it, it's it's a very slow burn. It's not like you hear a serial killer. It's not going to be like an action serial killer movie. Um, it tries to be kind of like Seven or like... Um, Zodiac, that kind of thing, where it's like slower stuff. It not a whole lot happens, but it's it's more the drama of it. Um, but as I said, Nick Cage is great in it. He's kind of subdued, and he just is not a parody of himself. So um, overall, I would say Nick Cage has made this movie better. And I'm trying to keep this short because the next one I'm going to talk about, I know I'm going to rant. So yes, the next one is uh, is a fun one. Let me tell you. So, uh, Jason will go... Huh? Tell us. Oh, well, wait. You got a third one to talk about, buddy. I do. I do have a third one. So, let me, let me start this off by pointing out, you know, I watched Ghost Rider first in this whole, like, sequence, which started bad, then went to, like, hoping for National Treasure, ended up with National Treasure 2, so, like, not great. I was really hoping to end on a strong note with one of the best action heist movies of all time, like, still lives up to this day in Gone in 60 Seconds. Yes. However, however I thought I could stream it for free. Turns out I had to rent it for money, and I figured, well, if I'm going to pay money, I'm not going to watch a movie that I've already seen a bunch of times. So instead, we rented the movie Primal, with Nicolas Cage. Uh, yeah. And let me tell you this, this is a garbage movie. Oh boy. But it is also 100% the reason that Nicolas Cage will be playing Joe Exotic. Okay. Huh. I'm on board. Right. So this is like, I don't even know if you could call it a B movie. It could be a C movie. But it is basically Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> okay. Nicolas Cage plays a like hunter who, like, used to work at zoos. I think he said he, like, worked at eight zoos over ten years. So clearly, like, not good. He, like, the movie starts, he has been in, like, the Brazilian rainforest for ten months hunting a jaguar. And, like, comes across this, like, one-of-a-kind, like, white jaguar. And manages to capture it and puts it on a boat. For some reason, on the same boat, 
the NSA is transporting like a former Marine who like went off and like killed people or something. Oh God! Back to America to stand trial. Okay. Sure enough, this guy and this guy is played by Kevin Durand, like not Kevin Durand, Kevin Durand, who like. It, like, I couldn't tell you what role he's played in, in various movies, but, like, if you saw this guy's face, you'd be like, oh, my God, I know that guy. <laughs> uh, it should have been Kevin um, Durant. Yeah. Yeah, this movie also stars, like, Famke Jensen, like, from oh. from the X-Men series, but she literally spends most of the movie just, like, sitting in a room kind of thing. And then, like, Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos is in there as, like, the NSA officer, and his character literally makes no sense, but I'll get to that in a second. So the whole plot of the movie is they're on this boat, and of course, like, Kevin Durant, the the murderer, like, escapes, starts killing people, and frees all of the animals, or a bunch of the animals that Nicolas Cage had brought on the boat, including, like, two, like, incredibly venomous snakes and the, the jaguar, and it's a whole just basically, like, they're trying to capture this guy, and he ends up killing all of them. And Michael Imperioli is like, I need to bring him back alive. Like, he has to stand trial. And literally, there's a guy at one point who has, like, the bad guy in his sights, and Michael Imperioli just, like, casually stabs him through the back of the head kind of thing. What? He's just like, I need to bring him alive. But that's that's his entire arc. But in terms of Nicolas Cage, it's not good, but it's very consistent. The entire movie, his character has, like, one one plot point, or not plot point, one, one id that, like, powers his character spine, and that's, he just doesn't like authority. Literally, the entire movie is him just going, like, I don't need to listen to you, that's a jag. <laughs> and that's the, that's his entire character. <laughs> wow. Like, it's not a panther, it's a jag. Oh, God. And I don't need to listen to you, I don't take orders. <laughs> yeah, this sounds like an award-winning movie. But again, he plays essentially a Joe Exotic-type figure thrown into, like, a marine snakes-on-a-plane situation. <laughs> snakes on a boat. Kinda. Okay. <laughs> and I would give it... Like and like, also the cinematography is horrendous. Like, it, whoever colored this movie is is should be fired immediately. Like, everything is literally one of three colors. Um, yeah, it, it's awful. I would give this one spot on a white jaguar out of five jaguars. Dang! Ouch! That hurts. What's the math on that? That sounds like a very low score. <laughs> <laughs> Very low score. I'll, okay, I'll give it six dollars or negative six dollars because that's how much I paid to rent it. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it, Mitchell. You have one more. I do, and um, it is from 1997. And uh, speaking of snakes on a plane, um, I see that movie and I raise you with cons on a plane. Uh, it is Con Air. Uh, it is one of a long stretch in the 90s when Nicolas Cage decided, you know what, I got my Oscar, I'm good to go, I'm going to make some bank and star in some action movies, and to be honest, in hindsight, 
this may have been him trying to get into shape to be a Superman type. Okay. Um, and he definitely gets pretty jacked up in this movie too. And I'm not saying steroids or anything, but the guy is pulling off the action star look. Uh, for those who have not turned on TBS in the past 20 years, Con Air is the story that's that is about, um, as you would expect from the title, those <laughs> they're a big plane filled with people who are in jail and are hijacking their way off this plane. Anyway, it's, it is it's always on TBS. <laughs> it is always on TBS, which is probably how I watched maybe 60% of this movie periodically growing up. Um, but this is a movie that I think knows what it is. So it is a, it's an over-the-top action movie, late 90s, kind of my era in terms of the type of action that we're seeing. There's lots of fire, lots of explosion. Nothing is subtle here. And it's everything from um, even the casting choices. John Cusack is here. Uh, Mike, so it sounds like a reunion with uh, Cusack and Cage. They love each um, other. Yeah, I guess they do. Uh, John Malkovich plays the villain, so that's a lot of fun. Mm. And Bing Rames is also here, uh, as well as a very young Dave Chappelle. And I completely do oh. not see that scene before but he is very much on the plane when they say welcome to con air so i'm like oh crap there he is uh, so i'm a i'm a fan of the movie it's fun the thing that i find interesting about nicholas cage is that this definitely in my eyes defines a certain moment in his filmography where like i said before he's pretty much settled in terms of uh reaching the heights of acting and getting that uh you know best actor oscar and he decides to cash that check and you know just go into these big action movies and i think he actually pulls them up it's not any of these things where he's out here screaming monologues about missing his hand anymore it's more he he is fitting into this role of being an action star and i think i think it works he is a lot of fun it's not like he completely drains himself of any personality that we've come to know him as over you know, the previous 10, 15 years of his career. Um, and this is just a fun movie. You know, this is a fun movie that knows what it is. Nicolas Cage does exactly what he needs to do. He flexes his muscles. He um, cuddles a little, um, you know, stuffed bunny rabbit, which is kind of like a thing throughout the movie. Anyway, it's uh, it's just a fun, you know, mid-afternoon on a Sunday kind of watch. You know, if you have nothing to do, flip that thing on. Two hours are going to go by like that. Turn off your brain. It's a good time. Um, Now, typically, I don't watch those kind of movies. But when the action is as fun and over the top as it is here, you you just got to sink your teeth into it. Um, So I do want to end on this because this whole thing is Nick Cage a good actor. Let me read you this quote that I come across in research. I'm kind of obsessed with Nick Cage. He's the only actor since Marlon Brando that's actually done anything new with the art of acting. He's successfully taken us away from an obsession with naturalism into a kind of presentation style of acting that I imagine was popular with the old troubadours. That man who said that was one Ethan Hawke, four-time Oscar nominee. Wow. That was in an interview back in 2013. And in that lens, am I saying Nick Cage is one of my favorite actors? Absolutely not. Do I enjoy seeing him on screen? Kind of depends on the movie. And that's what I've come to realize. I think he is a good actor. I think he is really good at that one thing, and that is going over the top and maniacal. It's 
having the right direction or the right project to express that side of himself in is what matters here. So I think he is a good actor. He may not be a chameleon. He's not Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm not saying that, but he is entertaining. And that is part of being a film actor. And you can say the same thing about Marlon Brando. He is, you know, he lights up the screen and he makes choices just the way Nicolas Cage makes choices. And this whole obsession with naturalism part, I think is carried on in the tradition of younger guys like Ryan Gosling, who is a very internal actor, who's one of my favorite actors. But I could totally see that as the antithesis of a guy like Nick Cage, who people love to shit on because of, you know, a string of awful movies that he's been a part of. But maybe it's not always his fault. It's just he's being used in the wrong way and the dude's, you know, let's face it, desperate for money. Um, so I'm very excited to see him as Joe Exotic. I can't wait to see it. And, you know, after this little exercise we've gone through, I think he is a good actor. Not saying he's great. I think he is a good actor who makes choices. And sometimes uh, that is, that's all I'm asking for, is someone to actually make something entertaining out of nothing, breathe some life into a project. And Nicolas Cage will do that. So um, I am pro Nick Cage as far as this podcast goes. So my friends and I have a, for our Twitter feed that we do, um, we've watched enough bad movies that we've kind of, you know, you start to see some the same phases popping up. And I coined like a saying where it's just like, it needs a little bit of curry as in Tim Curry. Doesn't matter how bad the movie is. What about Steph? (laughs) (laughs) This is 100% in reference to Tim Curry. Um, And I'm not trying to say that Tim Curry is like Nicolas Cage. They are very different actors. However, similar to in what you're saying that, you know, if you know he's going to be in something, you still kind of want to watch it. There is a certain something that they bring to the film. They lift it up. It doesn't matter if the production is bad, if the writing and pacing is horrible, it's let them loose. And in whatever we're going to end up with, at least for those 5, 10, 15 minutes worth of time, it's fun or at least interesting. Absolutely. And I think we had a, we saw even a couple moments like that in The Trust. Like yeah. Even yeah. line deliveries. I'm like, oh, that is a weird way to yeah. say those words. Or yeah. that montage where he's infiltrating the whatever it is, where he's, you know being chummy with the people at the casino or wherever we, you know, oh, yes. right, with right, them, right, right. you know, and, and getting in on it. Like that is fun. Like he's also, he's a physical actor too. Yep. Um, so yeah, you know, he's just, he brings a little curry to the thing. A little curry. A little curry. Well then All I'll right. finish it with a terrible one. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it down. Uh, we're going to talk about next. Um, if you know nothing about next, uh, he plays Chris Johnson. Uh, which is the, the mo- back? no the most yeah. terrible name for an action hero ever? Um, who also it's so bad. Yeah, and he's also a magician that has a show where he's Frank Cadillac. That's a stage name because of his two favorite things: Frankenstein and Cadillacs. Wow, fun. Yeah. Um, so what Chris Johnson can do is he can see in the future two minutes ahead as long as it affects him personally. Uh, and then he can change things so that it doesn't affect him in certain ways. Uh, the only thing he has seen longer than two minutes is Jessica Beale at this diner. And so every day he goes to this diner to see her to try to figure out why. Um, also, Julianne Moore is in it as an FBI agent that is trying to use him to stop a nuclear bomb. 
from hitting uh, Arizona. Um, <laughs> you know, because that's how you do. Um, basically, one of the things that happens is he kind of, like, the only scene I actually liked in this movie was when he was actually at the diner and he kind of went through these scenarios to talk to Jessica Beale. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, he struck out in that one, so he's not going to do that one. Okay, he, he did well in this one, so he's going to do that. You know, like that kind of stuff. And that was kind of a fun little scene. But at the same time, they don't understand how long two minutes is. Because that scene... Uh -oh. <laughs> nice. uh -oh. The Dragon Ball Z two minutes? It's Yeah, it's like a Dragon Ball Z two minutes. Where it's Got like... It. Are, are they screaming at the top of their lungs? <laughs> no. No. So like they'll they'll have two minutes that last for like six minutes, and then they'll have two minutes that last for like a minute, and it's kind of like okay, okay, what that kind of stuff. Um, basically convinces Jessica Beale to drive him to uh, Flagstaff. They get stuck, so they have to stay at a hotel. Uh, obviously, fall in love right away, have sex. And then these events happen where he sees the future again and Jessica Biel gets abducted by the terrorists, strapped to a bomb vest, and gets blown up. And so he's trying to prevent that from happening so that he can figure out why she's, he sees her like in the future more than two minutes. And then Julianne Moore is trying to use him to try to figure out where this nuclear bomb is. Um, the end of the movie is what I'm going to talk about because he saves Jessica Biel they are they are standing at the edge of this building and he goes oh no I made a mistake and Julianne Moore's like what you made a mistake he goes I made a mistake grabs Jessica Biel nuclear bomb goes off oh, okay <laughs> and then he ends up back in bed with Jessica Biel it was all a dream. And so, so he calls Julianne Moore's character and goes, I will help you. You just have to leave her out of it. Oh my God. And then half of the movie is not actually. Yeah. Okay. And basically he tells Jessica Biel, like, I will come back for you, whether it's weeks or a month or whatever, I will find you. I just need to do this. And then credits roll. That is the cheapest ending of all time. It's wow. terrible. There is a way to do that fake out look at Jacob's ladder. I'm not going to spoil it. But you like, just did. But no, <laughs> but I'm not saying what happened. Um, literally just did. Yeah. Pretty much did. I Or have I? Um, there are ways to do this. Wait, Mitchell, did you say Jason's ladder? Hold up. Yeah, I think I, you said I heard Jason's ladder. <laughs> Cinematic classic, Jason's ladder. <laughs> Wait, what? What ladder are we talking about? Jacob's ladder. Jacob. Oh, I've never heard of this. I've oh never my heard of god! Oh. If you if you like horror, um, check out Jacob's ladder. It inspired pretty much a lot of Silent Hill, the video game. Yeah. Um, it is a fantastic film. I have never seen a scarier thing than. The Andre is that the pre Silent Hill two or something like that or you talking about E T the yes. hallway game yeah that's that yeah. either for Silent Hills game so yes. Jacob Slatter is Scared. more the OG Silent Hill so like Silent right. Hill one and two mostly um one but 
but it, it's just a fantastic film. It's it's got a really good. Um, you oh, Tim me. Robbins is in this shit. Yeah. Yes. About, oh yeah, the, the the ending. Right. Okay. Anyway, I'm just saying it's a good way to do this plot device, and it infuriates me when it's just like everything you just watched for the last hour, forty five minutes, twenty minutes, fifteen minutes doesn't matter. It's I immediately messaged our group and it was just like, I have this passion of fiery sun for how much I hated this. <laughs> like, I was so pissed off at this movie. Plus, it's just, Nick Cage is bored the entire movie. It's not, he's just uh, walking through it. And so yeah. this is the only movie, because I'll, I'll spoil it, uh, I have him as a good actor. This is hey. the only movie that made me sit here going like, maybe he isn't a good actor. <laughs> but all right. He needed money. He needed it really badly. Yeah. Maybe. In, in a word, good bad actor. You have to say good or bad. We'll go, uh, Jill and Andre. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason. Sorry, I couldn't get off mute for a second. Um, I can only say good or bad. Only say good or bad. So you would say like middle of the road probably. I, w- I would say he has the capability to be good. Okay. Okay. And then Mitchell, you and said good. By the quality oh. of work that he's in, but yeah, he also has the capability to be very dab. Yes. Pick an era. Pick an era of Nicolas Cage. It's a moving target on good or bad. True. Mitchell, you would say good? Nicolas Cage as an actor, good. Nicolas Cage as a filmography, not good. So, overall, overall. Nicolas wow. Cage as an actor, good. Yeah. Raise it. Okay, sure. We'd take yeah. your first word because I said in a word. So. Yep, good. And then I'm saying good. Um, so, yeah. that is our Cage Match episode of Game for a Movie. Uh, thank you. Like, like you made it on top. Okay. He made it out all right. Yeah, we'll have to find another thing for us to do for our next episode if we're still gonna be in quarantine. Um, <laughs> but thank you guys for stopping by, Jason. Thank you for being our special guest and watching all those Nick Cage movies slash yeah. coming up with a cast. <laughs> yeah, it was a. It's been a rough week. Yeah, extra <laughs> primal. That's that's rough. God. We'll have to get something uh, better. <laughs> but yeah. thank you guys. You can delete that. Dude, well, I, I, can't... Just the, I just watched the trailer. It looks amazing. It's amazing. It's really, good. It's really, really, really good. good. I'm just it's saying, so though, I can delete it from the podcast. I can't delete it from my mind. Yes. Well, I guess you're just going to have to watch the film to see what all the hubbaloo is about. Yep. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you guys very much. Uh, this was Game for a Movie, where we ask, are you game for a movie?